This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministered to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, All You Need Is Love, and it comes from 1 John 4, 7 through 21. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift, Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift, Word Talk, Inc., is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Also, catch us wherever you consume your podcast. We're there too, whether that's Amazon or iTunes or Google or Spotify. We're there. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we're going to pick up with a topic that John has already written about in the second chapter, in the third chapter, and now he dives back into it again in the fourth chapter. And that is about us loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 3, he shows us if we keep his commandments, that means we love God. And the biggest commandment is we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. But then we're also to love others just like we love ourselves. And that's how they'll know we're a Christian. That's how they'll see the Father's love in us. Well, this passage here really gets into six reasons why we need to love one another. Six motivators to help us show that love so the world can see that we love others and that the love of Christ is in us. So I have a lot to cover. Let's just jump right in. Turn with me to 1 John 4. I'll be starting in verse 7. I'll be reading out the ESV. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So the first thing we see in this passage of Scripture, right here in verse 7 and 8, is that we love because God is love. We need to understand that the, one of God's character, one of his main character is love. God is love. This means that we don't get to make excuses for ourselves. And we can't just jump right over this command or not decide we're going to do this because it is not in our nature to be a loving kind of person. Yeah, now we do love when we get something out of it, but for us to love like God loves, to do that agape love, to be that sacrificial love, that's not in our nature. And I think it's important that we define what the Bible says by love. Love does not refer to the feelings or being an emotionally soft person. Love is denying ourself for the gain of others. That's what agape is. It's sacrificial. In a true loving marriage, this is what love really does look like. 
It's not just the erotic part of love, even though that is a part of love. In a true loving marriage, there is sacrifice that is given from both sides. It is a compromise. And agape love is not doing what you want to do to bring gain to yourself, but it's denying yourself for the sacrifice of others. But here, we're to show that we love God and that God is in us by our sacrificial love for not only God, but for our brothers and sisters. And we see that. It says that if we love others, then we have God in us. But if we don't, if we are selfish, if we're consumed about ourselves, then we're operating in the flesh. We're operating in the natural. And God is not in us. And we're not yielded to him. He is not our master. He is not our king. We have not died to ourselves and walk in him. We all know that person. You may not have picked them, but they're there because they are people that only do things for their benefit. Now, they may do something for you, but now you owe them. They're doing something to get something from you. It is nothing about self-denying. It's nothing about being sacrificial. It is truly for their gain, if not immediately, in the near future. Now, if you listen to the world, they'll tell you that's smart. That's the way you should get ahead in life is by being, doing, and acting that way. That you do it sacrificially just so that you get something in the future. But what the Bible's teaching us here is that that's not love. That's actually sin. That is selfishness, and selfishness is sin. Selfishness is thinking about ourselves. Love is thinking about others. Relationships are destroyed when we think about how things affect us rather than thinking about how our actions affect others. You need to stop right now and repent of that character in your life. You need to give it to God. You need to ask God to help you change that personality to be self-sacrificing. I know some of you are saying, Tim, this isn't easy. This isn't natural. And you're absolutely right. Matter of fact, I would tell you, go look at children and watch them. The natural way to act is that they think that they are the center of the universe. Everything evolves around them. When someone comes and gets their favorite thing, they're unhappy. That's mine. Now, I don't share. It's all about me. It's how am I being taken care of? How does this affect me? And as parents... We are loving our children when we train them and we teach them and we discipline them to think about others and not themselves. And as parents, we need to model this to our children as well. You know, we live in a society that loves social media. Social media is all about self. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And I love John. And right here in this simple two verses, John puts it plain and simple. If we don't deny ourselves and we don't give sacrificially, then we may not have been born of God. We don't know God because that is the way God acts. And if God is our master and he's ruling our life, we would model that just like our children model what we teach them. And his logic in these two verses are simple. He says, if we are born of God, then we're going to share in God's characteristic. Loving each other is proof that we know God and we're born of God and God is master and ruler. He is his kingdom. He's our authority. And by acting this way, it shows our confidence in our eternal salvation. And if you're not going to do this, quit calling yourself a Christian. You're given the real Christians, those that love sacrificially, those that walk and chase after God, a bad name. These are the very people that are making other worldly people that say, I won't come to church because it's a bunch of hypocrites. They're no different than I am. Well, let's move on. Look at verse 9 through 11 with me. 
It starts in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the second thing that he shows us and why we should love is because God loved us. God revealed his love in the most dramatic and powerful way that you can show sacrificial love. He did it by sending his son Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross so that we may live, that we may stand before a holy and righteous God, and that we would be covered by his blood. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And by this sacrificial expression of love, it shows that he was defining love properly. How did God show love? God defined himself for our gain. He sacrificed his son for our gain. He did all that so that we could have life with him. Jesus revealed his heart that was full of God, that he was 100% man, but he was 100% God because he did a sacrificial act of love. Now notice the boldness of John's words that he says in verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. When we truly understand that God is love, and he showed that, that he loved us, that he sent his son to die for us, then we can really be transformed. It can transform our lives to know the love of God in this way. See, when we understand that not only was him sending his son an act of love, but it also defines the sacrifice of Jesus. It defines that it was a giving act by the Father, and it was a sacrificial act by Jesus. Sadly, there's a lot of people out there that see God as an angry person. They see God as mean. They think of God as being aloof. But God is love. And they get a lot of this because of the Old Testament. I've had folks tell me that they prefer the loving Jesus instead of the angry God. But God the Father loves us too. The love of Jesus showed in his ministry was the love that God the Father had toward us. And Jesus says that. And when we receive Jesus' love, we also get the healing power of that bad thinking about God's love. The other thing I want you to notice is he says that his only begotten son sent his only son. Now, this is a special term that means Jesus had a sonship, but even though he was a part of the Trinity, it also indicates that Jesus and God the Father were of the same substance. They were the same being. They were part of that trinity. If you look at John 3.16, where he says that God gave his only begotten son to begot something, it really means that we gave something that is exactly the same as us. If I were to tell you I beget something to you, then I gave you something that's the same and essentially the nature of being. And that's what... He's saying here, he even tells us that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, that we are not the same essential nature or the same being as God, but Jesus was. We're human beings, but Jesus is the only begotten son, meaning his sonship is different than ours. He was and is the same essential nature as God the Father. And what we need to remember is that we are human beings and Jesus and God were God beings. Even though Jesus was 100% man, he was also 100% God. 
he brought his deity to him and God gave him that. We see it throughout the scriptures where he says, I'm well pleased with my son. We see the Holy Spirit when he's baptized. So we see the deity of Jesus, even though he was human. And then he adds that we might live through him. See, the love of the Father was not only in the sending of his Son, but also in what that sending accomplished for us. It brings life to all who trust in Jesus and his work on their behalf because he is the propitiation for our sins. Now that propitiation is a word that we typically don't use. It's the idea of a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. God rightly regards us apart from him as worthy targets of his judgment. Ephesians teaches that we are enemies to God. And if we don't allow the blood of Jesus and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we are worthy of that target of his judgment. But Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment of our sin that we deserved. And his sacrifice turned away the judgment that we would have received. We easily think about how this showed the love of Jesus, but John wants us to understand that it also shows the love of God the Father. He loved us and sent his Son to be the redemption, to pay the price for our sins. He paid the sacrifice. And so God the Father showed his great love for us that he sent his Son to save us from the judgment that we deserve so that we can live through him, Jesus Christ. The question is, do you live through him? And that's what he says in verse 11, that God so loved us that we ought to love one another the same way. We ought to be sacrificially loving others. So if we've received the love from God, we're directed now to love one another. The pattern of receiving from God is then giving to others. And it's just like what Jesus taught back when he was in the upper room with his disciples. Do you remember what he said to him? He said, if I've washed your feet, now you should go wash others' feet. So he's teaching this principle, repeating or reflecting the love that Jesus modeled for us. So we've seen that we should love because God is love. We should love because God loved us. And now let's look at we should love because we show God to the world. Look at verse 12 with me. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So again, here's kind of a test about that loving test. See, if God abides in us, then we should love one another. And if we don't, then we need to check and see if God really does abide in us. But he even turns it up a notch, kind of like Emerald. Bam! Look what he says right at the end. He says, and his love is perfected in us. Now, that doesn't mean that it'll be just like Jesus, but it means it will get better over time as we get into his word, as we spend time in fellowship with, with Jesus. We're going to understand. We're going to keep his commandments. We're going to understand that love. We're going to feel that love, and we're going to share it with others. And guess what? As we do that, our love becomes more perfected. It becomes more correct. Are we going to get it completely right? Absolutely not. Occasionally, we're going to fall into that fleshly nature, and we're going to think about self. And we'll do something that helps self instead of being sacrificial. But he says that no one has ever seen God, so if we love one another, that God abides in us because we're modeling that love. And not only that, but we're going to, as we model that love, it will become more perfected over time. The other idea is if we can't see God, then the world can't see God. But the world is supposed to see God. And so how do they see God? 
They see it through us reflecting God through us. If you want to convince people that God truly exists, then model God through you. John is saying that we prove God by the love we show to each other. God's love, which we talked about in the first one, is God is love. To show that and to understand that God loves us, then we have to reveal that and mirror that through our lives. God's love is perfected when it's reproduced in us and among us. Like I said, through this, when we start loving others the way God loves us, we start perfecting that. We grow in our relationship with God the Father as well as our, our horizontal relationship with others. And then he teaches us that we need to love others because we understand God's love. Look at verses 13 through 16 with me real quick. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified to the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So first of all, it teaches us right here in verse 13 that when we're saved and God comes to live in our life, when we make him Lord of our life, that the Holy Spirit is given to us. The Bible teaches us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. In Ephesians, it's teaching us that God sealed us in our inheritance and as an adopted son or daughter of him by sealing us with the Holy Spirit, the promise that Jesus said would come. Every believer is giving the very Holy Spirit of God the moment he trusts in Christ. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's what Paul declares in Romans 8, 9. And then he goes on to say, though, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, if you're not sealed with the Spirit, then you're not saved. And what you need to understand is that when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. Through him have the empowerment. He equips us so that we can function the way that God tells us that we should. See, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our advocate. He protects and he encourages us. He guarantees our inheritance in Jesus Christ. It is through the Holy Spirit that we yield and allow him to lead us. And that takes time. I mean, you can do it day one, but over time we have to understand the right voice when we hear God in his leading. And so we see right there in verse 13 that John says that because he has given us the Spirit. And then he goes on to say that we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John teaches us that we have a life-saving confession that we make and we live out. We testify that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world. And that's what he says in verse 14. This confession we make and the hope that we have is that we believe in God the Father and we live it out. We live out Jesus' commandments. He goes on to say in verse 15, look what he says there. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So again, we start understanding what God has for us. We live it out to the world that God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 
Let me summarize it this way. When you grasp the love of God has for you, it leads you to love others, proving that you are remaining in God and God remains in you. You can put this another way. When you do not love others, then you do not get it. You're missing it completely. When you truly come to know what God has for us and you believe in that love, then you will remain in that love by loving others, proving that you have a relationship with God. And that's what John's trying to get us to understand. And then in verse 17 and 18, he teaches us that we love because it casts out fear. Look at verse 17 with me. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We could underline this whole section, but definitely underline in your Bible, verse 18. There is no fear in love because perfected love casts out fear. Does that mean that you will never fear? No. But as we get that love perfected in us, we fear less. We trust more. You need to understand is that fear and faith are polar opposites. Whether you trust God, is there anything God can't do? Because that's a fundamental thing we need to understand. But if we fear something, we're saying that God can't handle this. And so the more we trust God, the more we perfect our love, more that we have faith and understand God and his love for us, the less we have fear. That's how you see some people and they go through crises in their life and you're like, how are they doing that? Because it's like water just rolling off a duck's back. It's because that they have perfected Not completely, but they have perfected their love more than others. And so therefore, they look different from the world. You might ask, Tim, what does perfected love look like? Well, I gave you one example, but the ultimate example is Jesus Christ. The way that Jesus could face his death with confidence was that he had a perfect love in him. He had God's perfect love. And we can also face the worst things in life with confidence. Did Jesus have to fear any judgment? No. Even when he went to death, he knew that he wouldn't have to fear the judgment of God. And we have that. When we accept Christ, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, no matter if it causes us to die, we should still have perfect peace and confidence because we don't have to fear God's judgment. It should be a calming thought that we get to go to the day of judgment and stand there with the confidence as a son or daughter of God the Father with being justified through Jesus' blood, that we don't have to face his judgment. And let me wrap this up with the final one, that we love because we love God. Look at verse 19 through 21 with me real quick. So John says in verse 19, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he hasn't seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Running out of time, so I'm going to close with this final section right here. We love because we love God. Verse 19 makes that very point. John draws a simple conclusion for us. We cannot think that we love God and hate our brother. We're lying if we hate our brother or sister in Christ while claiming to love because we cannot love the unseen God if we do not love those that we have seen and that are around us and visible to us. How can we possibly think that we have love for God when we don't deny ourselves for the gain of others? 
How can we say that we love God when we're not sacrificial to him or our brothers and sisters? How can we think that we have love perfected or we have a relationship with God at all when we treat others the wrong way? And this is the commandment. The one who loves God must love his brother. If we love God because of what he's done for us, then we need to love others too. Matter of fact, it says we must love others too. Based on this scripture right here, this commandment that we see, that phrase, I just can't love that person, is invalid. If we're born of God and we're abiding in him and we're allowing him to be the Lord of our life, then the resources of love are in there. We just haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to let it flow out. We're holding it back. We're working out of the flesh instead of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are thinking, Tim, you don't know my boss. You don't know my spouse. You don't know that person, that my neighbor. You don't know whoever this is that you say you can't love. I'm telling you that if God can love them and we have the love of God in us, then we can love them too. I didn't say it's easy. As a matter of fact, you probably can't do it without yielding to the Holy Spirit. We're going into a New Year's season, and some of you may make a New Year's resolution that I want to love God more. I want to grow my love for Him. And I want you to understand that if you want to love God more, the way you perfect that love, the way you grow that love is by the way you love His children. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. God is more pleased when we get it right with our brother than if we bring him a sacrificial offering or praise or some resource. He wants us to love others, which shows God's love, and we show it to the world. And that's how I want to summarize all this. John has shown us in this passage There are six reasons we love one another. First, because God is love. Second, because God loved us. Third, because we show God to the world. Fourth, because we understand God's love. Fifth, because love casts out fear. And sixth, because we love God. We obey his commandments. My question for you today, do you love others the way you love God? Is there one in your life today that you say, I just can't love that person? Lay it at the feet of Jesus today. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I just thank you, Lord, as we go into this new year that you've shown us and you've challenged us how we can perfect our love in you, how that we can grow our love in you. And it's by loving others, being a sacrificial love, doing things that can't be repaid, doing things not out of selfish motive, but out of true sacrificial giving. Lord, I pray today that if there's one that showed up that, you know, you're tugging on their heart right now because they think of areas that they've messed up in. Lord, you're a God of multiple chances. Lord, I pray today that they will just say, Lord, I'm sorry I've blown it, but I want to get it right. Here, forgive me. I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to go make it right. They're going to be like Zacchaeus that immediately went and made it right. Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they understand they need a Savior, that they're going to have to stand before you one day, but you came and you died on a cross for them 
for their sins, for their, and you sacrificed. You were the perfect sacrifice, but you also gave us eternal hope because you overcame death. And Lord, that we're going to stand one day, that when this time's over, we're going to stand before you. And if we've not accepted, then we're going to be judged. But if we've accepted you, then you see Jesus's blood through us. And we can stand before you as a holy God, even with our sinful past. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray right now that they would accept you as Lord of their life and they would chase and follow after you. Lord, I pray a blessing over each and every one that's listening to this lesson. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.